life is beautiful is the title, the name of a movie that came out about 25 years ago. It was a comedy, a comedy which shows the reality of the human condition, there's much joy, there's marriage, there's love, family, children, music, laughter, and there is much pain, violence, cruelty, and death. And surprisingly, a significant portion of this movie is set in a German concentration camp. And a major part of the story is the Jewish father who's been incarcerated together with his little boy, trying to protect his little boy's innocence by pretending that it's all a game. And surprisingly, in this movie, in this comedy, it works. The game works. And it turns out well for the son. But as an answer to human suffering... It doesn't work. Because it wasn't funny. And it wasn't a game to the millions massacred in the gas chambers. It wasn't funny. And it wasn't a game to those who had their loved ones torn from them by cruel violence and injustice. And so, even though it's an interesting movie and a good try... It joins the scrap heap of so many attempts of human beings without God under the sun to find some way of navigating the meaning of life. Now, as we begin a new year, it's much the same as the last year. We're in a year in a world of great joys and wonderful experiences and exciting opportunities. And at the same time, we're in a world of deep sorrows and painful afflictions. How do we navigate life in a world like this? Well, the preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes has the answer. And his answer is this. His instruction is this, that under the sun, there is no solution. Under the sun, there is no answer. Under the sun, there is no meaning. Under the sun, there is no significance to human joy or to human suffering. Everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. And the word vanity that we have here in our Bible means in in, in the Hebrew, a breath, a mist, a vapor, something which just disappears without any meaning. And and you see in chapter 1, verse 2, he uses the word five times. He's getting pretty, um, he's making it pretty clear how he sees the world under the sun. And he asks the question, what is the use of toiling away and slogging through each day of our life. It's the same old, same old, and he describes all the rhythms in the world of the sun and and the wind and the water, but we can apply that to our lives as well. All these 
things that we do only to have to do them again and again. We go to bed so we can get up, so we can go to bed again. We solve one problem at work, two others pop up to take its place. What's the, the use of it all? We go to work, we come home, we wash the dishes, but they get dirty again. We wash the clothes, they get dirty again. We clean the house, before you know it, it's a mess again. What's the use of it all? And sometimes life may seem tedious. It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem fair. What do we get out of it? And, and the preacher asks that question in the reading that we did, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. That's a pretty accurate picture of life from one angle. But it is life from one angle, under the sun. Because right after verses 22 and 23, he says some things in verses 24 and 25. That apart from God, who can eat or have enjoyment? What he's saying is this, that apart from God, there is no meaning and no significance and no knowledge and no wisdom and no joy under the sun. Life is striving after wind. Life is a series of random events in a cruel and uncaring universe. There are some joys, there are many sorrows, there's no rhyme, no reason, no meaning. That's apart from God, that's under the sun. But the gospel comes to us as the preacher moves on to chapter 3, and he no longer speaks at this moment of the things under the sun, but he, think, he speaks of the things under heaven. And in some way, that's the same category of things, isn't it? And yet it's the same category of things from a different perspective. Under the sun is the creation in itself. And under heaven is the creation under the sovereignty of God. And as we read our text, we see that under the sovereignty of God, there is order, meaning, purpose, significance, ultimate, eternal beauty. For everything, says the preacher, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And you might remember this sermon last year on redeeming the time, and we talked about the different words for time in Greek, chronos and kairos, chronos being the duration of time, the beginning, the ending, and the time between, and kairos being the quality of time, time of opportunity. And so in our text, the Hebrew equivalence here, the season is time in its duration, with its beginning and its end points for each event. And the other words for time in our text are kairos, time of opportunity, a proper time, a fitting time for every matter under heaven. Now, what the preacher is preaching about here is not the rhythm of life. He's dealt with that in chapter 1. And he's also not telling us, you know what, in your life, 
there's a time to do this and there's a time to do that. He's not talking about what we do. Because we don't choose when to be born, and we're not supposed to choose when we die. And we don't choose when the joys and the sorrows of life come upon us. Those are not under our control. The beginning words of our text speak about the timing of God, that he ordains all things. And this description in the first eight verses are all-encompassing from our birth to our death, all of our life. And it encompasses all of human endeavor, planting and plucking up, breaking down and building up, casting away stones, gathering together, seeking and losing, keeping and throwing away. And it encompasses all of human emotion, weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing. It encompasses every aspect of human relationship, killing, healing, embracing, refraining from embracing, keeping silence, speaking, loving, hating, warring, and making peace. So it's a, comp it's a comprehensive description of human life in all of its aspects under heaven. Now, what do these things mean under the sun? Well, under the sun, we slug away trying to get through the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, trying to get through life, and random things keep happening to us. There are joys, there are sorrows in no particular discernible order. It's like an insane roller coaster designed by a madman. The ride is terrifying. And even when things are going well and there's a click, 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 click as you go up to the heights of the joy, there's this building dread of the inevitable plunge into affliction and sorrow which must inexorably follow the heights. So under the sun... It's a terrifying ride. But under heaven, from that perspective, all is ordained. And when the preacher sets that truth forward, then he asks the question again that he asked in chapter 2. Look at verse 9 in your Bible. Because now he asks the question again, what gain has the worker from his toil? What's the use of getting out of bed? What's the use of slugging through another day? And now he has a gospel answer. God has given us business to be busy with. And God has made everything beautiful in its time. And the word beautiful there means good and proper and fitting. And right, God has made everything beautiful in its kairos time. God has eternal purpose in the things that he ordains for our life. A purpose of eternal goodness and glory and beauty. The New Testament describes it this way. All things work together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. All things, the good, the bad, 
and the ugly, he has made everything good, proper, fitting in its time. What is the preacher saying? He's saying this, life is beautiful even when it hurts. Now, we know that, but we don't know that. And the preacher moves on to describe that conundrum. He says, look, God has put eternity into man's heart. And we know that the universe has a purpose. And we know his eternal power and divine nature displayed in creation. And we know the testimony of God's law written on every human heart, embedded in every human conscience. Every human being knows there's a difference between good and evil. And every human being has an impulse to worship. And every human being shares in a sense of loss, a sense of longing for a better world, a home that we have never known. Every human being to some degree, shares in the longing to find the place where all beauty comes from. And that's why followers of the religion of evolutionism mourn the death of their loved ones. If they were consistent with their religion, it would be normal. And they pay lip service to their religion. They say, oh, this is a natural part of life. But they know it's not. Because their heart is ripped in two. They know it's not supposed to be. They know that death is an enemy. They can't explain it with their worldview, with their false religion, but they know it. And they feel the disconnect between life and death, between meaning and insignificance. Because every human being has to some degree eternity in their heart. And how much more we, brothers and sisters, who are children of God, we know eternity not vaguely, not abstractly, but we know, him, we know eternity personally. We know the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is eternal life, to know the Father in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. He dwells in our hearts. And nevertheless, even as children of God, we know it, but we don't know it. What does the preacher say? That we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And that makes it difficult sometimes. If somebody were to plunge a knife into your body and begin to slice you up, would that be good? Or would that be bad? And the answer is it depends. If it's an assassin, it's bad. If it's a surgeon, it's probably good because the surgeon slices into your body for life. It is good, it is proper, it is fitting, and every slice is right and perfectly calculated. And with God, we know that he is operating on our lives, cutting away the flesh, cutting away the tumor of the death, uh, the, 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 
the sin which brings death. We know that he's cutting away. We know that he's operating. But so often we have no idea what he is doing, why he is doing it, when he is doing it. Sometimes God's providences, when they are hard providences, seem senseless and random and even cruel. And the preacher says, child of God, you need to go back to first principles. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And we look at life under the sun and it is random and meaningless and short and brutish and painful and cruel. But under heaven, under the heaven of God's fatherly providence, everything comes from the hand of the Father. Everything. Rain and drought. Health and sickness. Life. And death. And when we understand that, even though we don't understand it fully in all of its details, when we understand that, then it drives us to worship. Because we know, look at verse 14 there, we know that life is not a series of random events. If you have your Bible open, see what he says there in verse 14. Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. Life is ordered perfectly and deliberately to bring us to eternal glory. The story of your life is written in God's decrees before the foundation of the world. And what is happening now has already been determined in God's eternal, perfectly wise, perfectly good counsel in his eternal love for you in Christ and that which will be in your life has already been determined in the same way and then the preacher says something which is a little hard to understand at the end of verse 15 God seeks what has been driven away and I take that to mean that even the lost opportunities even the things we mess up, even the things we neglected to get to, even the idle words and idle thoughts that we let slip from our lips and which pass through our minds, nothing is insignificant. Even the tiniest details of our lives are imbued with eternal meaning. Now, why has God done this? Look at the end of verse 14. God has done this so that people fear before him. God has done it. God is sovereign. God is good. In God, life is beautiful. And this is the key to human flourishing. This is the key to living life to the fullest, when all the joys and all the sorrows drive us to fear God, to worship God. And then we can say, Lord, I don't have a job. And Lord, I'm facing financial problems. Thank you 
for the opportunity to learn that man shall not live by bread alone. I worship you. And Lord, my body isn't working properly. Thank you for the opportunity to learn that when I am weak, then I am strong. And that though my heart and flesh should fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whatever we're facing, whatever we're dealing with in life, God is at work. And when we understand that, we can do what verse 12 says. I will be joyful and I will do good. As long as I live, I will eat and drink and take pleasure in all my toil because this is God's gift. And you remember from last year, perhaps, as we looked at redeeming the time in Ephesians there, and then we kept going for some more sermons, and we discovered that redeeming the time is simply living life in worship, worshiping God in family, in relationships, and in the simple, faithful obedience of our daily work. Well, psalmist confesses that truth, and I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles right now to Psalm 34, because I want to read the whole psalm with you. Psalm 34. The psalmist understands this. Look how he begins the psalm, I will bless the Lord at all times. At all times. This is the background of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. There's Ecclesiastes chapter 3 again. It drives him to fear God, to worship. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Did you see Did you see the Lord Jesus as we read this psalm? 
There's this messianic promise there in verse 20. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. A promise of the coming Messiah. This is the way the Lord Jesus lived his life. He lived his life in all of his joys and all of his sorrows, blessing the Lord at all times, continually with the praise of God in his mouth. You see, Jesus doesn't just tell us, brothers and sisters, he doesn't just tell us, look, this is the way you got to do things, this is the way you got to live. He doesn't just tell us, but he shows us. He has done it. This is how he lived. He came, he entered into our humanity at Christmas, and he knows what it is to live life under God's providence, that it is good and that it is beautiful. And he accepted the kairos moment ordained by God for his birth when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of woman. And Jesus accepted the kairos moment appointed by God for his death. How often do we not read in the Gospels, my hour has not yet come. He knew the time for mourning as he wept by the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And he knew the time for rejoicing as he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit when his disciples returned from their first mission trip and shared the power of the gospel over the kingdom of darkness. He knew the time for speaking as he taught the multitudes. And he knew the time for silence as like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus lived by God's ordained timing. What does the Apostle Paul say, Romans 5 verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. This is the life Jesus led. My times are in your hand. He was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, this is too much. Take this cup away from me. And at the same time, not my will, but your will be done. And even in the darkness on the cross, having lost all sense of the presence of the love of the Father, he still worshipped. Even in his pain, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know why. We know why God the Father forsook his Son on the cross. Because he loves us. We know the whole story. We know all the ups and downs of the life of Jesus. We know the glory and the beauty that he drank the cup of God's wrath to the last drop, that he destroyed the power of sin and death, that he triumphed over the powers of darkness, that he gained the right to bring about something which the preacher said he's never seen, something new. The new heavens and the new earth. Do you know him? Do you know the power of his death and resurrection? Outside of Christ, life under the sun is meaningless and terrifying. And if today 
you're watching online or you're sitting here in this building and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ with a heart of true faith, God is calling you today. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. Life is beautiful when you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Child of God, Christ gives meaning to every moment of your life. Christ makes your life beautiful. The sorrows and the hardships and the cruelly pain afflictions, the painful afflictions are the splatters of hell. And when we experience them, then Jesus is saying, look, this is a taste, a sense of what I suffered for you, of what I've suffered in your place, of what I have saved you from. And so even the most painful afflictions drive us to worship. And the joys and the happiness and the delights are the tastes of heaven. And Jesus, saying, Jesus says, you think this is good? This is nothing compared to the joys and the glory which I am preparing for you. And that drives us to worship as we experience the beginnings of eternal joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And in joy, we live life in the light of eternity. In the joy of the Holy Spirit, we do good. In the joy of the Holy Spirit, we wait for the Lord when life hurts. And in that joy, we eat and drink to the glory of God. And in that joy, we take pleasure in every moment of our life and work, receiving it as a gift from God. And in that joy, we understand the times like the sons of Issachar. Because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus will come again a second time at just the right time appointed by the Father. And then, when heaven and earth come together, when time and eternity coalesce, we will finally see and understand what God has been doing all the time in our life. And we will see the pixels of the movie of our life, some of them bright, some of them dark. We will see them projected onto the screen of eternity as a picture of perfect glory. And as we gaze upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as we worship him in the beauty of holiness, we will understand more fully that Christ is where we begin and that Christ is where we end and that Christ is the meaning and the purpose and the Lord of every moment of our existence, that Christ is our life and that he is altogether lovely, that our life in Christ is beautiful, world without end, Amen.